Uh, turn with me to John chapter 15. We're going to continue in this um, series that we've been doing through the, the book of John. I just think the Lord's timing is perfect. He knew we would get here by this day. And I felt like, like here we are. And, and so we're going to jump in. I will say if you've been a part of D groups for long, you know that John 15 is a place where we land a lot. Um, it's kind of a hub that we build out of in our, in our D groups. If you haven't done that yet in your D group, just wait. You will. But before I, I get too deep into this, um, I guess I want to ask if someone feels confident to come up and read 17 verses. Thank you. Will you read the first 17 verses of John? And I'm sorry, my Bible's quite marked up, so if she struggles, this is one of my most marked up passages. And I just listen with your heart this morning as she reads this morning. John 15. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this, my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends, for all that I have heard from my father I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit, and that your fruit should abide, so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you, that you will love one another. I'm sorry, I was doing okay until she got to that part. But I don't call you servants, I call you friend, and that just wrecked me for just a second. I was like, ah, I can't do this right now, i got, I got to preach. Um. I want to say something this morning that some of you are going to have a very hard time with. I'm going to say something this morning that's going to be really difficult for a lot of you to hear.
It's this. In Christ, you are holy and blameless. In Christ, you are holy and blameless. As I was reading the word this week, it felt like I kept accidentally running into passage after passage that declared me holy and blameless before God in Christ. And we just can't believe that about ourselves sometimes. Well, wait a minute, Pastor Drew. I thought it was either a week or two ago you were telling us that God's wrath is coming for sinners. That is true. For sinners, but in Christ, we are holy and blameless before God. As I read this passage, and we're going to circle back around to that, what's strange is, and we've talked about this a few weeks ago, but I think it's worth hitting before we move on through the rest of this passage. In verses 7 and in verses 16, he tells us that when we pray, whatever we ask, it will be done for us. Which is crazy, because we've prayed for things a lot, and then they don't happen sometimes. We talked about this a few weeks ago, though sometimes we pray with the the wrong motives. We pray things like, God, please help me make an A on this test. Any students ever pray that one? And God's like, yeah, why don't you study? Sometimes you're the answer to your own prayer. That's true. We talked about Psalms 37.4 that tells us if we delight ourselves in the Lord, then he will give us the desires of our heart. Well, my desire is, we talked about this, for, for a new car, a nice one. And one that people will be jealous of. But the front of that says, delight yourself in the Lord. If you're delighting yourself in the Lord, what am I doing? I can't, <laughs> you keep, you keep looking at me like, I was like, I've never seen so much eye contact from the sound booth. That's like, <laughs> I'm holding a mic and yeah, here you go. Um, all right. Here we go. Where was I? Uh, delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. The thing is, if I'm delighting myself in the Lord, then the desires of my heart change over time. So no longer do I want a new car that will make other people jealous. Posture your heart's an important thing. 
It gets real heavy in verse 8. In verse 8, it says, By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. That you bear much fruit. Yeah, I'm passing notes in church. It's okay. We, as believers in Jesus, sometimes, and and maybe we who don't actually believe in Jesus, we really like to grab a hold of this thing that says, fruit is proof of being a disciple. And this is a true statement. Is it a true, it's a true statement that says, fruit of my life is proof that I'm a disciple of Jesus. So what does that mean? And, and, and let me tell you this morning, like if you've been a Christian for years, or maybe this is one of your first Sundays in church, like this is for you. All of this is for you this morning. So, so hang with me. We're, we're going we're gonna to get a hold of all of us this morning. When I say fruit, what am I talking about? When the Bible says fruit, what it's talking about is outward things that other people can look at so they know that you're a Christian. For example, if I walk up to a tree and I'm not sure what kind of tree it is, if I'll wait until harvest season, I can walk up and see apples on the tree. I'm like, oh, it's an apple tree because I'm not a smart guy, but I'm smart enough to know what an apple tree is, right? If I drove by an apple tree all day, I wouldn't know until I saw the apples on it. That's just me. Some of you might know apple trees. I don't. So Jesus tells us, he, will, he says, you'll know them by their fruit. And, and what this word fruit is, a lot of times, it's just the outward actions, right? So what is some fruit? Well, if you're helping like a, a little old lady cross the street, like they do on cartoons all the time, TV shows, but I never actually ever see in real life. I don't know if that's a... Maybe we just don't have old ladies trying to get places in Carroll County. I'm not sure. Um. <laughs> we drive for those at home. One of, one of our congregants said. Um, that, that would be, that, I'm sorry, I totally got derailed. I totally got derailed. Um, that, would be, that would be a work right? Helping someone cross the street, that's a work. That's an outward action that other people can see until like, oh, you're a nice person because you helped me, right? I mean, if anybody do something nice for them, like went out of their way and maybe busted their tail to do something nice for you, right? Back uh, last year, I had some guys come to my church and or come to my house from the church and they helped me put up the rafters, on the addition we're building on my house. That was something they did for me. That was fruit of their heart. Why did they do that? To show me they love me. Right? That's fruit. So anytime we say fruit, what we're saying is these are the, the things that people do to show who they really are. And what Jesus says right here is fruit is proof of being a disciple. What's a disciple? That's a word we use in church a lot. The word disciple simply means learner, 
You could say it means follower too. It literally means learner. So like if I'm a disciple of Jesus, what it means is I'm a learner of Jesus. Like Jesus has teachings and I try to learn them. And something we teach here at, at FOP is, is we're supposed to then, as followers of Jesus, supposed to invite other people to be a disciple of us, which is strange to say, but you're not really being a disciple of us, are you? You're being a disciple of Jesus. The call is, follow me as I follow Christ. If you'll be like me, then you'll be more like Jesus. But aren't you screwed up a little? Yeah, a little. Just emulate the good parts. Right? Because if we're waiting for the perfect person to show up so we can follow them, we're going to be waiting all day long. The perfect person did show up. His name was Jesus, and they killed him. Right? So the, the call is, follow me, be a disciple of me as I follow Christ. Be a learner. And when I'm having people follow me, I'm not teaching them Drew's words. What am I trying to teach them? Jesus' words. Drew's words are screwed up. Jesus' words bring life. So this is what Jesus is saying. He says, fruit is proof of being a disciple. And we're all called to be disciples. If you're not a disciple of Jesus, then you haven't surrendered your life to him. However, this statement alone, let me actually wrote what I wrote this morning. While this statement is true, that fruit is proof of discipleship, this statement alone, without context, is dangerous and breeds a legalistic style of Christianity which is harmful and destructive. What do I mean by that? Fruit is the works that we do. It's the actions that people see. And what we have sometimes is people who are trying to show so much action when they really don't have anything going on in their heart. It's called legalism. Let me make it look like I'm being a Christian. But there's not actually anything going on in here. So I've got to keep up appearances so other people think I'm doing well. And that's one thing we, we try to break down here too is we want people we don't want you to be fake and look like you're doing well we want you to be open honest and vulnerable so god can do a work deeper inside of you see the statement isn't just that fruit is proof of discipleship there's more to the statement because fruit is proof of discipleship of being a disciple is all about you. Well, I have to look like I have fruit so that people think I'm a disciple. Who's that statement all about? You. You're trying to glorify you. But what's the statement that Jesus makes here in verse 8? Look at it again. He says, by this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit and prove to be my disciples. See, the point isn't to glorify you and think, oh, they're such a good disciple. They go to church every Sunday. They serve in the youth. Man, I, I, even, I even know that they bought groceries for somebody once. 
They do all the right things at all the right times. They lift their hands when they're worshiping. That's all about you. The point isn't to glorify you. The point is to glorify the Father. It says, by this, my Father is glorified. So are you doing it so people think you're a good disciple? Or are you doing it so that the Father will be glorified? Now, I'm going to make this even harder. Never once in this entire passage that we read this morning were you commanded to bear fruit. Say that again. Never once in this passage were you commanded to bear fruit. Well, wait a minute. I thought you had to bear fruit to prove you were a disciple. Yes, but Jesus never tells you to bear fruit. But aren't we supposed to do good things? I would agree. It's good to do good things. That's fruit. But Jesus never commands you to do good things in this passage. He actually only commands one thing in this entire, entire passage. You guys remember when you were in school and they taught you the different kinds of sentences? Interrogative, exclamatory, derogatory. Wait, derogatory was that one? No, but we use it a lot. Um, imperative, you guys remember imperative sentences? Imperatives are commands, and in the original language, there's imperative commands. There's only one word in this passage that's an imperative command, and it's this word, abide. Jesus never tells you to bear fruit. What does he tell you to do? Abide. Say that with me. Abide. Abide. Can I tell you what's so scary about not bearing fruit, though? And, and this is why we get caught up in the, the bearing fruit part. But I've got to bear fruit. I've got to. Why do we focus on that? Because the passage says, if you don't bear fruit, you're going to be, what's the language it uses here? It says you'll be taken away in verse 2. And in verse 6, it says you'll be thrown away, you'll wither, and you'll be tossed into a fire. I better bear fruit because I don't want to be tossed into a fire. And that's true. You don't want that. But how do you bear fruit? You don't bear fruit by trying to bear fruit. I've never seen a fruit tree just, oh, got to bear some fruit. You're going to soil yourself, man. That's not how we bear fruit. You've never seen a fruit tree strive to bear fruit. You know, a fruit tree just bears fruit. Because it's a healthy fruit tree. It's just what it does. A branch that is attached to the vine and it's healthy will just bear fruit because it's what it does. Because it's abiding in the vine. That's what Jesus compares this to. The only command he gives here is to abide. Some of you are so working so hard trying to do good works and prove to people, and it's wearing you out. It's wearing you out when Jesus simply commands, abide in the vine. And can I say, if you look at, up in verse 2, um, he tells us that he is the true vine. I think it's verse 2, somewhere in there. That word actually means genuine vine. 
as opposed to like genuine as opposed to fake. How many know, maybe you've done this in your life, have you ever tried to reach out to other things to make you feel alive? Have you ever tried to abide in other things and rest in other things to make you feel alive? We, we pick on things like drugs and alcohol and things like that a lot because it makes us feel alive. But it's, it's a false life. It doesn't bring life. It brings destruction. It, it brings hopelessness. It brings depression in us. Some of us have tried to find that same life in another person or relationship only to have them fail us or let us down. Why did that happen? Because they're not the true vine. They're not the genuine thing. There's only one genuine vine, and it's Jesus. And Jesus is saying, abide in me. He is the only authentic life giver. This whole thing is a lot simpler than you think. In verse 3, it tells us that you are clean. It says, already you are clean. This is the one I, I like to post a lot on social media. I posted it again this morning. It says, already you are clean. Why? Because of your good works? Because you're awesome? Already you are clean. Why? Well, let's look at it. Verse 3, already you are clean. Why? Because of the word I have spoken to you. So how much effort of yours was making you clean? It had nothing to do with you. You becoming holy and blameless before God had nothing to do with you. You know what's crazy is, is, we think if I give my life to Jesus, everything goes well after that. And we ask, like, we say, well, I know that's not true. But then when life gets hard, we question everything. Well, God, did you really tell me to do this? Because this is hard. Right? Like, God wouldn't ask you to do hard things. I mean, didn't Jesus die on the cross? Wouldn't you say that was a hard thing? And he's our example. How do we know? It tells us in verse 2, it says, Every branch that does not bear fruit, he takes away. We talked about that. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes. Well, that's not fair. Have you ever seen pruned Grapevines, it looks like utter destruction has happened. I've pulled up images before. You Google it when you get home. Not now, because then you'll get on social media, and then I'll lose you for the next 20 minutes. Every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes. He still cuts. He still cleans. He still takes away. But why? So you can bear more fruit. What I think is funny is sometimes God prunes us, which hurts. And as he's pruning us, we spend the entire time rebuking the devil. Well, the enemy's just really fighting me right now. It's just been a really difficult time for me. Yeah, that's not the devil, friend. 
That's God pruning you. Well, God wouldn't do this to me. Do you trust him or not? I mean, I'm, I'm reminded of Joseph. Joseph, who gets sold into slavery, who gets falsely accused of rape. And we're like, well, that was the devil. Was it? Because those situations happening to him ends up putting him in a position to save the world. Sometimes that's just God pruning you to get you in position where you need to be. See, God's coming to give life and life more abundantly. Now, don't get me wrong, it's the enemy who does come to steal, kill, and destroy, but God carefully prunes. He's a vine dresser. He's carefully cutting at you, not just haphazardly hacking at you like the enemy does. So Jesus makes this statement that we've already referenced. He says, you are already clean because of my word. And it's actually his word that prunes us and cleans us. So we become clean and it's not because of anything we did. Ever. You were not clean because you did a good job treating your kids well yesterday. You usually scream at them and lose your cool, but yesterday you were calm, so now you're clean before God. That's not how that works. You usually struggle with pornography, but you had a good week this week, and you didn't look at it one time, so now you're clean before God. That's not how this works. Now, don't get me wrong. Man, I'm glad God's working in your life and you're not screaming at your kids. Praise God. And I'm glad that you spent the last week resisting the temptation of pornography. Praise God. Like that's fruit of your life coming out as you abide in the word. But that's not what makes you clean. Your effort is not what makes you clean. This is hard. It's hard for some of you traditional Pentecostals to hear this this morning. It's hard. Oh, go ahead. Yeah, he said. Jesus said to to Peter, I'm saying this for the recording so people can hear. Said Jesus is Jesus told Peter that Satan has come. He's desired to have you, to sift you like wheat, to shake you violently. But I have prayed for you that your faith would not fail. You, you, when, you're, when you're shaking the wheat, it's, it's not usable until it's been shaken. It's not usable until it's been shaken. You can't bear fruit unless you've been pruned. 
this is not my message for today, but, but Jesus even taught the order of the breaking of the bread, and something that we should preach at another time. But over and over again, Jesus, when he had bread, it says he would take it, bless it, break it, and give it. Over and over again. To the point where when he was walking with the men on the road to Emmaus, they didn't recognize him until he took bread. He took it, blessed it, broke it, and gave it. And then they realized who he was because he did that a lot. Do you realize in your life, he will take you, bless you, and then you will be broken so that he can give you. My wife has given this testimony time and time again about her older daughter. And she said, I have gone through that so that I can then minister to other people who have gone through similar things. He takes you, he blesses you, and then you're broken so he can give you away. You are holy and blameless before God. Turn with me to Colossians. Chapter 1. Robert, can you go ahead and come up? In Colossians chapter 1, I, I want you to hear this in verse 21. And, and uh, Tabitha, just hold on for just a little bit. I'm not sure how close or far I am. We'll just let the Lord lead us this morning. Colossians chapter 1, it says, um, 1 verse 21, it says, And you who were once alienated and hostile in mind doing evil deeds, he is now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death, in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him, if indeed you continue in faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven. I, I want to say this. What is Paul saying? He's saying you were once alienated and hostile in mind. You know what it is to be hostile. Have you ever had someone be hostile with you before? And here's what he's saying. You were that way with God. You thought you were like, well, me and God, we just kind of left each other alone. No, that, that's not the way it was. Like you rejected him. You were hostile towards him in your mind. But it says now you're reconciled to God, not because of anything you did. How does it say? Because of the death of Jesus Christ. You are reconciled. Reconciled means brought back to his own. You were brought to God, not because of your effort, because of Jesus Christ's death. Because of that death, God now looks at you and sees that you're holy and blameless. And that, that word holy, like, I'm not sure we fully understand what that means, but holiness in the Bible is this, is this unique, special, untouchable thing in God. Like we first see this concept of holiness when Moses, he walks up to the burning bush. Remember that story? It's weird. And God says, it's God that's in the burning bush. And God says, hey, don't come any closer. This place is holy. 
And he's like, whoa. He said, take your shoes off. This is holy ground. He takes his shoes off. Because it's a holy place that he can't approach any closer. Like scripture tells us, no one sees God and lives. The closer you get to his holiness, the more it will annihilate you. Why? Because you're broken and unworthy. It's a lot like think about the sun as a metaphor. The closer you get to the sun, the more it will destroy you. Because it's unique, it's special. They built a temple that God commanded them to do. And in the temple, there was like different layers of the temple. Until you like got to the innermost layer called the Holy of Holies. It was such a special place. Like, and, and like you, if you were a certain kind of person, you could get in so far. If you were a certain kind of person, you could get in a little further. But you couldn't even get into the certain parts of the temple itself unless you were a priest. And you couldn't even get into the holiest places unless you were a certain kind of priest. And you couldn't get into the holy of holies unless you were a special priest on a certain day of the year who'd done all the special things. And even then, the holiness of God was so pure and so unique that if you had any uncleanness in you, you could be killed for stepping into the holiness of God. Like they would actually tie bells to their garments and put a rope around their leg just in case they died in the presence of God. That's how holy he is. He's pure and holy. We are not. We're disgusting and filthy. And then Isaiah has this vision of God. And in Jewish tradition, you touch certain things that would make you unclean, unholy. If you touched a dead body, it made you unclean. You have to go through all these things to get yourself purified. If you touched blood or different things, it would make you unholy, unpure. And you have to go this whole thing to make you pure again. But then this is reversed. In Isaiah, we see, like Isaiah's his vision. He's before God and he can't get close because God is holy. He says, he's like, woe is me. I'm, I'm unclean. I have an un... I, I'm from an unclean people. We're jacked up. God, I can't be in your presence. And this angel comes and takes this coal and touches it to Isaiah's lips, and it makes him pure. It's this concept now that now something could touch you and make you pure. That's weird. That something could touch me and make me pure. So now you have this Jewish culture that says, if you touch certain things, it makes you unclean. And then Jesus shows up. And he sees someone with leprosy. Well, if you touch someone with leprosy, it makes you unclean. He puts his hands on them and heals them. It's a reversal of the whole process. Instead of someone touching a person with leprosy and it making them unclean, now it's someone holy touching someone else and it makes them holy. It's working in the opposite direction that they've been taught their whole lives. That God can touch you and make you holy and clean and pure so much so that the prophet has a vision of this river flowing out of the temple the holy of holies and as this river touches things it makes it grow with life it makes it holy like the whole process starts to get reversed 
This is the day and age that we live in. We live in the day and age where the blood of Jesus has been shed to make us holy and blameless. That Jesus, he touches us and it makes us holy and blameless before God. See, without Jesus, what I preached a couple weeks ago is true. We deserve the full wrath of God. We deserve hell. We deserve punishment. Why? Because we're sinful and we're ugly and we'll never make it on our own. And even your best works, even the goodest you've ever been, I don't think goodest is a word, even the goodest you've ever been, the Bible says it's nothing but a pile of crap before God. It's filthy rags. That, that, that word, excuse me, this is the Bible says it's a used tampon. That's what that word is in the original language. That's your best day. That's the day you didn't look at porn or scream at your kids. Here, God, I did great. He's like, yeah. Your best will never be good enough for a holy and pure God. A holy and pure God. And God knew that. And that's why he sent Jesus. God became a man. His name is Jesus. And he's the only one to have never sinned. Not once. And then he goes to the cross. See, the Bible says the payment for our sin is death. Like because you screwed up, you deserve punishment from God. Jesus never sinned, so he never deserved punishment. And yet what Jesus does is he gets on the cross and he takes the full wrath of God on himself. He takes Drew's punishment on himself. And it kills him. begin to pray for a moment as I'm trying to decide where we head next on this. We won't, we won't turn there, but I want to tell you about Ephesians for just a second. Ephesians tells us that you, it says again, you are holy and blameless because he predestined and chose you to be holy and blameless. That's a weird word to use, predestined. He chose you. It says before the world even began, he chose you to be holy and blameless. Wait a minute. That sounds like I don't have a choice in the matter if he chose and there's those that say that. There's this whole way of thinking called Calvinism. If you've never had to study that, consider yourself blessed. There's a flower involved with it. Like two people in here probably got that joke. Um, and basically this thing of Calvinism, it just says that you were chosen by God before the world began. 
and there's nothing you can do to unchoose yourself. And people struggle with that, like, wait a minute, if that's true, first of all, they say, if that's true, then I don't need to tell anybody about Jesus because they're already chosen. That's wrong. That's Calvinism gone too far. The Bible says we have to tell people about Jesus. Yeah, but they're already chosen. Why do I have to tell them if they're already chosen? Because the Bible says to. Well, does that mean we don't have free will? Yeah, we still have free will. But you said we're predestined and God chose us. Yes, I did. How can both things be true? I don't know. How can be, there be one God and he's the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit? I don't know. It's true. How can there be, I was predestined to serve God, yet I chose him? Which one's true? The answer is yes. And, and I want to say just for a moment for you, if people ever want to debate these kind of things with you, I have people all the time come to me, they're like, well, what do you think, Pastor? Do you think, do you think that we're predestined to love God or that we get to choose to love God? I have other people do it with other things like, do you think that we're once saved, always saved, or we can backslide away from God? I'm going to answer both those questions for you right now. Are you ready? Deep, weighty theological issues. Here's the answer. Are you living for Christ today? That, that's the answer. Can you backslide? Or once you're saved, are you saved forever? Those are great questions. The answer is this. Are you living for Christ today? Today, right now? Do we have free will or did God choose us? Here's the answer. Are you living for Christ today? Right now, in this moment? And I'm asking you this question right now. Are you living for Christ today? If, if we look back in John chapter 15, he actually says this in verse 16. He says, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit. So you have been chosen. You've been appointed to bear fruit. And this is a comfort to me, knowing I've been chosen. Doesn't it feel good when you're lined up to play a game and someone, they're picking, and someone finally calls your name? Drew, yes, I wasn't picked last this time. Doesn't it feel good to be chosen? Don't you feel good when you get that text invite to the thing that everyone's going to or that they chose you? It feels good to be chosen. And this morning, I'm going to say you have been chosen by God. All of us, not some of you. Well, how do I know if it's me? Well, this morning, you're hearing the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And if you'll say yes to him this morning, can I tell you, he has chosen you. That's how you know. That's how I know. And it's nothing you did. You know, at the end of Ephesians, he talks about being holy and blameless. Again, he, it's this. It's this. Ready? He says, husbands, love your wives. It says, wives, submit to your husbands. Husbands, love your wives. And in culture today, we get so torn up about this. Like, wives, submit to your husbands. What the heck? Listen, when the original audience would have read that, that part, that wouldn't have phased them. That was just the way their culture was. The part that would have blown their mind is the part that says, husbands, 
love your wives. And they would have gone, what? That's the part that shocked them. Husbands, love your wives. How? Get this, like Christ loves the church and gives himself for it. And then it says this, and washes her with his word to be, get this, holy and blameless. That means holy, you can be holy, that unique special thing that lets you approach God and blameless. That means like in a court of law, they can't blame you because you're blameless. Husbands, love your wives like Christ loves the church and washed her with his word. And I get this. How does God wash us with his word? It's, it's what Jesus said in John 15. He says, you're clean because of my word. But how does his word to us? Have you ever been, ever been driving down the road and you've done something you know is wrong? And the audible voice of God just came into the vehicle with you and just started berating you and belittling you for being, like, you heard God's audible voice and you are such a screw-up, you moron. How many times have I told you to knock that off and just start cussing you? And Has God ever done that to anybody? No. And yet, husbands, that's the way we do sometimes, isn't it? Yet we're supposed to love our wives the same way God loves us. Are you hearing me? Has God ever forced you to do anything? Or does he just ask? Has he ever manipulated you into anything? Or, or does he just give you the options? Like how does God interact with us as the church? He doesn't coerce us. He doesn't force us. He doesn't say, it's going to be this way or, no, he loves us. He guides us. He leads us. He washes us with his word. Husbands, this is the call for the way we are to love our wives. Pastor Drew, are you good at this? Sometimes. What I do know, it does show us who God is. God is cleaning us and making us holy and blameless with his word. Is it anything we're doing? Are we holy and blameless because of we're do what we're doing? No, we're holy and blameless because of his word washing us this morning. I want to read one last passage. Go to Philippians. We'll actually turn to Philippians. I want to say along those lines, the scripture tells us time and time again, the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. What does that mean? It means your anger doesn't make someone holier. People hold up signs that say, I don't know, homosexuality is a sin. Or whatever they hold up signs about and get angry about. Some of what they say on those signs are true things that the Bible says. But your anger isn't going to make someone turn to God. What did I say? Philippians? Chapter 2, I think. Verse 
verse 14. It starts like this. Oh, no, let's go back. Verse 13. For it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Who's doing the work? God. Verse 14. Do all things without grumbling or disputing. Oh, wait a minute. I like to grumble and dispute. Can I, just a reminder to all of our D groups, your D group isn't a grumble session. Your D group is so you can be changed. You can't, you can't disciple someone who's not in the room. Your D group is for you to get closer to God. Yeah, you should share some of the stuff that's going on in your life, but you can do it without grumbling. And why is that important? Look at verse 15. You may be blameless and innocent. Blameless, say blameless. Children of God, without blemish, in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life. Holding fast to what? The word. As you hold fast to the word, you become holy and blameless. As you abide in the word, you are cleaned. Some of you, 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 you frequently struggle with sin over and over and over again. And it seems like the same, you keep screwing up in the same ways. You keep having the same difficulties. I'm, I'm telling you this morning, victory over that thing comes through abiding in His Word and letting Him wash you. Your effort is what's wearing you out. Jesus said, come and take my yoke upon you. Like that yoke. It's like, you ever seen uh, like oxes pulling a, a sled or something like that? That thing they wear is a yoke and it's heavy and it's hard. And Jesus says, but take my yoke on you. It's easy and light. Like you've been so busy trying to get perfect in yourself and stop doing all the bad things in yourself. And Jesus is saying, you are holy and blameless in me. Stop striving. We sing that song sometimes. Uh, There's no striving, just abiding in you. That's truth. Here's what I know. As you abide in the word, as you abide in Jesus, he cleans you and you begin to bear fruit because you were trying but be because you were abiding in him see jesus is the ultimate life giver a while ago i told you about how jesus died on the cross for your sin and your shame but he's the ultimate life giver so much so that three days later he rose from the dead and get this right now today as i'm speaking jesus is alive he is alive and well and he's coming again So here's the call, and, and I love this. I Maybe, well, I'm going to say it. Someone, I saw a thing this week. It says, you know, when it's time to sing, we have everybody in the church sing. When it's, when it's time to give, we ask everyone to give. When it's time to get in the Word, we have everyone get in the Word. When it comes time for the altar call, we make it optional. I 
I would just have a word. If you're a leader in this house this morning, I'm going to say, let's not let this altar call be optional this morning. Break up the dry ground. That was the word of the Lord this morning. And this is what I want to break up. Some of you, you're feeling like things are difficult because you've been doing everything on your own effort. And the plow is coming through and breaking up the ground this morning saying, you are holy and blameless because of what Jesus did, not because of what you do. He is the righteous one. If you've been struggling, here's my question. Will you just close your eyes for a second? If you've been struggling, here's my question. Have you been abiding in the vine? And I, I, I can almost guarantee that the answer to that is no. I have not been abiding in the vine. And I mean truly abiding. Sometimes we get so caught up in our Bible plans and all the stuff we read. Sometimes God just wants you to abide in a few words. That word abide means to remain, to dwell in, to abide in Him. This is my first call if this morning. Have you been abiding in the vine? My second is this. Has He been pruning you? And have you been resisting My third is this. Do you know Jesus this morning? Have you put your trust in him? Are you, have you tried to abide in other vines, other f- things that have left you feeling empty and hopeless? Tabitha and Robert are going to sing and worship. And as they do, I'm going to invite you to either kneel at your seat or come to these altars or worship along with them. It's time to confess some stuff to the Lord. The Bible says if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive our sins. What is sin? Sin is just means missing the mark. If you've been missing the mark, confess it to the Lord. You are holy and blameless before him because of what he has done. I have good news this morning. You are holy and blameless before him because of what he has done. If you put your faith in him.